Hi there, this is Kent Roundy at USH Med Student. Three students with me today and uh, a topic that I'm looking forward to. I, I generally look forward to the topics. I think this one might be more fun than most. Let's do some introductions to start off with and I've sometimes referred to the two of you as the Jays. Um, I don't know if that's fair or not, but uh, Julia, how about if you start? Hi, I'm Julia Sire and I'm a third year medical student at Rocky Vista. I'm Jonathan Hansen, and I am also a third-year medical student at Rocky Vista. And Jonathan, don't be shy about leaning into the microphone, okay? okay? Um, I, I noticed that my J's on this rotation have quieter voices, and, and don't be shy. Connor, on the other hand, you have this really great voice for radio. I don't know if, any, if your mom has told you that or not, but it's really amazing. <laughs> and I'm pretty excited about this topic today. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, do a little bit more in-depth introduction, and, and I think the, that the description of how this topic evolved will aid in that. So I, take it away, Connor. All right. So yes, I'm Connor Weston. I'm a fourth-year medical student at Rocky Vista. Uh, first off, yes, I've gotten told about my voice quite a few times, so <laughs> I didn't realize it was so deep until later in my life when people kept commenting on it, so... <laughs> Uh, also, I just want to say a shout out to my mom and dad. Mom, thank you for your continuing advice with all these different podcasts. It's it, been very helpful. It is appreciated. Thank you. Uh, and so how I got into this uh, project is currently I am going through the match. So talking with Dr. Roundy, I thought it would be a great subject that every medical student would be interested in. Uh, so going through it and with it being kind of a odd year for us medical students with the coronavirus going on and with all our interviews being virtual and just not being a normal year of getting to go to the different residencies and Things along those lines is kind of what got me into deciding that it would be interesting to go and look at more normal years because we don't have the information yet from this year because as of this recording, it is currently match week. So, uh, yeah, so that was kind of what got me interested in it. Now, I think part of the topic evolved when you came in and you know, I'm always surprised by this. I, I don't know why a student would listen to me. I've got to be honest. <laughs> I, I, I try to get the psychiatry stuff right. I know I make mistakes with that. It's impossible to know everything. But you came in and you said something along the lines of, I'm trying to rank these programs. What in the world should I do? Does that sound familiar? Yes. Yep. That happened early on in this rotation and you had some great advice. <laughs> you did match. We know that much. We don't know where you've matched. Let's hope that the advice worked out. Correct. Um, and I think somehow we integrated toasters and blenders into that discussion. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Yep. And yep. we might talk about toasters and blenders in this rotation as well, or in, in this podcast as well. Does that sound yes. like a good idea? I think that is great advice for everyone. So let's, let's start off. First of all, matching is stressful there are these very difficult competing choices that you have. Do I choose the program in uh, Provo, Utah for family practice because it is close to home? Do I choose the program in uh, Houston 
because it has maybe a broader demographic of people that I might want to learn medicine by treating? Do I choose the program in, uh, let's say, the Washington area, in the Seattle area, because the people there are just really great people to be around? Those are tough choices, right? They're, they're competing choices, and it leaves each of us, I remember going through this, I remember thinking about things that seemed incredibly important and these competing values and the qualities that each rotation or residency brings and being distressed by that, right? And so let's talk a little bit about how to take some of the distress out of this and some ideas about how you might think about matching that will help you be most effective at getting the, the residency program that you would like. Now, we took a lot of data from the National Residency Match Program. There is data that you can read, right? Yeah. A lot of it. Like 100-page reports. Does that sound right? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> um, and I want to just, I, I want to run a couple of numbers past you. Uh, or a couple of questions. Uh, let me throw this out to the three of you. Actually, Connor, you and I read this, so it's sort of like cheating, right? So I'm, I'm going to throw this out to, to the Jays. <laughs> and have them comment on what they think might be the most important thing to get a residency interview, right? So there are two steps that are really important. One is getting an interview, and then second is ranking and matching, right? Rank and match I'll kind of include together, but to get an interview, what do you think the most important thing is? I think historically it's been step one scores um, has been kind of the the weeding out criteria of a lot of residency positions. Yes. <laughs> and in fact, if you get greater than a 235, which is pretty close to the average, you are likely to get an interview, right? If, if you get an average score on your USMLE, step one, odds are you'll interview at the places you pick. If you start looking at very competitive residencies, that might change somewhat. But generally speaking, a 230 will get you an interview, which I thought was interesting. I was like, oh man, you've got to, you know, to interview at these really great places, you've got to have like a 250, but <laughs> not, not so much. A 230 will get you in most doors, right? We'll get you interviews. Um, second thing, what else is, or, or other things that are important? I was going to say step scores also, but I know that things like the Dean's letter and your personal statement and that other information is also a factor. Wow, so you, Jonathan, you hit number one, and Julia, you also hit number one, and number three, because you said USMLE scores, number three, uh, step two, clinical knowledge is also very important. Now, there's a huge drop-off between step one, I'm sorry, between the first factor, the second factor, and then the rest of the factors. That, that step-off is pretty big, but Number uh, four on that list, that 78% of the deans interviewed, uh, or directors, sorry, said personal statement, and 76%, number five, said the dean's letter. So you nailed four and five right, right there, very, very important. The only other one that's in there, and this is something that was uh, important to me, I write a lot of letters of recommendation, but I'm not always writing letters of recommendation within the field. And it appears that letters of recommendation from the specialty that you are going into mean a great deal going into getting an interview. Other things that seem to be important are grades and the required clerkships. Uh, 
and commitment to the specialty. Now, all of these things are important. It, it's, there was an interesting ranking strata. It's, on one hand, they say, do you look at this? And you know, all of these things that we mentioned are looked at 70% of the time to get and interview, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing that really had the highest importance that was looked at by the programs that looked at it was this commitment to specialty. So uh, having those externships, being able to uh, have working knowledge of, of that residency and the importance of that residency, those are all incredibly important aspects. It's, it's very interesting to me. Now, there are a few no-gos as well. Connor, I think you're familiar with the no-gos, not personally, um, but the no-gos from your perspective, what did you see in, in terms of if you have these issues behind you, you're going to have a tough time getting an in interview? Yeah, so most of the no-goes, as we're saying, is professional issues. Mm -hmm. If you're just kind of, in easy terms, just not a very trustworthy or good person, those are the red flags that kind of will prevent you. Those are really the only ones that really will prevent you from... Ethical lapses are huge, right? And a lot of programs look at those ethical lapses and say, that's just not interesting to us. We're not ready to go down that pathway. And, and that's about 85% of the time. If you've had an ethical lapse or you did not pass the USMLE or COMLEX test, 85% of the time, you are very unlikely or never going to get an interview at those locations. So you, if you haven't passed the COMLEX on your first try, if you haven't passed the, the USMLE on your first try, then you need to figure out which residency programs will accept people that have retaken the test. Right? Now, a couple of things that are, are very fascinating here. There are a lot of different people that apply to interview, right? Not just DO students, and I, I want to be very clear, DO seniors and MD seniors. By far, MD seniors outnumber everybody that's applying. I think uh, somewhere around six to 7,000 DO students apply for positions, um, and that's, I, I want to say, about a third or a fourth of what the MD senior student applications are. And then there are other groups of people that are applying. So medical school grad graduates, both DO, MD, and U.S. citizens that have graduated from international medical schools, so think uh, Caribbean schools largely, I think, in this setting. And then there are also international graduates from either uh, U.S. medical schools or international medical schools that, w that are non-U.S. citizens that would be applying as well. Now, th there's something very interesting that happens. Generally speaking, most residency programs, about 95%, will interview MD seniors, about 65 to 70% of residency programs will interview DO seniors. But as soon as you are out of that senior class, something pretty dramatic happens, and it looks like you're not very likely to get an interview. That, those numbers drop down to about 20 to 30%, right? So it's a lot harder once you have not matched, once you become a graduate, it's a lot harder to get a residency program. And so I think that one of the things that should be in the back of students' minds is the importance of matching while they are seniors. Connor, did you see anything uh, about that that uh, crossed your mind? Uh, so, yeah, just looking at the data, I was very surprised 
at how big of a drop-off that was. I wouldn't have thought that that would be such a detriment of being one year removed. But uh, when I was applying, I didn't really think of that being as important as it was until after seeing this data. Yeah, you have to match the first time. And so what we're going to talk about a little bit is once you get that interview, and, and I think it's very clear that it doesn't matter whether you are a DO student or an MD student, you should be able to get the requisite number of interviews to be able to match, right? I, I don't think that's as big an issue, even though it surprises me a little bit that there are so many programs that won't even look at DO students, right? I was a little bit surprised by that. My feeling is that that is changing over time, um, but, but not fully changed yet, right? right. And again, uh, I think, Connor, you and I were surprised that 5% of residency programs won't even look at MD students, right? Right. So, so it's five percent won't look at MD students. About thirty to thirty-five percent won't look at DO students. Right. And then after you get through that, after you figure out which residency programs will look at you, that's who you want to start uh, working to interview with. Yeah. Um, now, there was something interesting that happened in 1975, and I wasn't very familiar with this. And that was that up to that point, you had internship years, and there were a lot more residency slots than there were applicants. They got rid of those intern years in 1975, and suddenly the game changed. There are now more applicants than there are slots for residency. But again, for our Rocky Vista students, who these podcasts are largely targeted towards, United States graduates from both DO schools and MD schools match about 90% of the time, or a little bit more. Right? And that number for our DO students seems to be going up, in part due to the escalation of number of family practice residencies. Connor, does that sound mostly right to you? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that one of the really good news aspects of this is that you can start looking at numbers and they can seem very, very daunting. And yet, for our Rocky Vista students and our, and our graduates of United States medical schools, odds are you're going to match. And, and we're not looking at SOAP here today. And I think, generally speaking, by the end of SOAP, uh, which is what we used to call the scramble, which is now called the Supplemental Offer Acceptance Program. program right? Once, once you go through that SOAP process, most students are going to find a residency program, right? Most United States... Uh, medical school graduates. Now, there's also some other things that can be a little bit scary. So I, I want to just make sure that when you're looking at numbers, you recognize those different groups of students that we talked about. So graduate students, if you don't match the first time around, those graduate students, uh, you fall into that category, you're much less likely to match. And if you are a graduate from an international medical school or if you're an international or a non-citizen applying to residency programs, that becomes much more difficult, right? So, so when you start looking at the number of applicants, which um, are 45,000 people trying to match into 35,000 slots. No, I don't have that right. Is it 3,000? No, it is 35,000 yeah. slots, right? Then that seems a little bit scary. But when you start subtracting out active applicants, then that number drops down a little bit closer. It's more along the lines of 35,000 or 40,000 applying for 35,000 slots. So I'm not entirely sure where the 5,000 inactive applicants are, but you can start moving those out of your worry box. You can also start moving the international graduates out of the worry box. You can also start moving the uh, graduate students that didn't match the year before out of your worry box. So, so now if you start thinking about the process 
of interviewing, this is where you have the ability to make an impact, right? You can't choose who will interview you as much. You can work on having a good USMLE score, but where you can really make the difference is, is on that uh, interview. So let's, let's now talk about a couple of things that are really important. Uh, Connor, there seems to be some relationship between the number of interviews you have and the number of schools you can rank. Yeah, so <laughs> pretty much from our data that we were looking at, you want to rank every single program that you interviewed at because the program is going to do the same. They rank pretty much every single one of the people that they interviewed. They'll put on their rank list. So you should be doing the same on your rank list. You will not be able to match at a program you do not interview at. Correct. So the, it's a one-to-one -one relationship, yep. right? And, and I looked at the data very similarly. Most residency programs, if they have taken the time to interview you, they will rank you. Now, there are, it looks like, uh, based on some of the articles we looked at, maybe 10% of the applicants who interview somewhere will not be ranked. But it's, it's actually far and few between, right? Most of the time, if, if a, a program is willing to interview you, they will rank you. And that doesn't change. The numbers were very across the board. If you are a DO student, they, the residency programs that are willing to interview you will also rank you. There's just no question about it, right? So if you get an interview, unless there is a huge red flag, you need to rank that residency program. Does that sound right, Connor? Yes. And it looks like there's kind of a magic number for ranking to be able to match. And Connor, I think you yeah. uh, have some ideas about that. Yeah, so every specialty is a little different. But overall, if you get around 15 on your rank list, you're about a 96% chance to match. So 15 interviews, interviews, right? Yes. And 15 ranks, contiguous yep. ranks or continuous ranks. They talk about um, there are students who have backup specialties, and so they will rank maybe two or three of their primary choice in their primary specialty, and then they might decide that they really would rather have a different specialty at a certain program. Now that starts to get a little bit more complicated and might get into gaming the match. We read a couple of articles on that, uh, Connor, and is there a way to game the match? Uh, good question. By, by ranking. Let's start with <laughs> All that. Right. Good question. And to be frank, no, there's really not a good way of gaming the system. A lot of the articles that we were reading talked about how other students will try to give advice and then the students who were getting the advice will try to use that information to better position themselves in matching based on if they don't feel like they're competitive enough at certain programs. And overall, overwhelmingly, in everything we read, the best advice is just going with kind of your preference. Don't try to game the system. Listen to your advisors at the school, because they'll say the same thing. But overall, you just need to go with what you want. So if you want to match, mm -hmm. you need to interview at roughly 15 to 20 schools. Mm -hmm. You need to rank 15 to 20 schools. Mm -hmm. And you need to rank the schools you liked most. Yes. All right. So there is no way for a student to game the match by trying to be sly and rank something ahead of something else, right? It just doesn't work that way. Right. 
The only thing that I read happens is you end up losing out on earning potentials and, and you may potentially end up at a place you really don't want to be. Correct. So rank the place you want. Yep. Has anybody ever told you guys differently? No. I've heard the same thing. I don't even know like how you would even attempt to game the system because it is like pretty clear that you want to put your top choices at the top. Similar. I've I've heard of people who have tried to game the system and it's only burned them. So it's always come down to do it honestly and go with your gut decision. What's very interesting to me about this is that the students that end up having USMLE scores below that 230 to 235 cutoff, I think they feel more compelled to do that. Connor, the way I read the data, once you get the interview, that USMLE score really drops down in importance. Yeah. Once you have the interview, kind of those stats, those stat statistics that they look at to screen you out in the first place really don't matter anymore in their eyes. At that point, the most important thing is just how you interact with people, how you are as a person, uh, which is kind of a relief if you think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it no longer matters, right? I mean, this is the great evening of the playing field. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people that can score much higher than most of us sitting at the table. I'm not sure that applies to all of us. I know it applies to me, right? I'm a, I was a very average USMLE test taker. In fact, I think I was dead average as a USMLE test taker, right? But it turns out that once you get the interview, mm-hmm. nobody really cares about how smart you are. They care who you are. Mm-hmm. So as I thought back about this, the secretaries that I worked with, they seemed to actually like me. And so I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain that Patty and Belinda, the two people that I had my contact points with at Baylor College of Medicine when I went there, I still remember their names. And actually, I still have had some communication with both of them. Um, I, I feel like they are my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was never, ever a time that it crossed my mind that I shouldn't be polite with the people I was talking to on the phone. And yet interactions with house staff, faculty, interpersonal interactions, those are number one, two, and three in terms of how you get ranked. Mm -hmm. Now, whether I'm a good person or not, whether I was, you know, I I think I'm truly nice to everybody that I I meet, Um, but if you want to game the system, apparently the way to do it is become a really nice person, to have good interpersonal interactions and be truly interested in both the program you're looking at and the specialty you're looking at. That interest in specialty and being fascinated by it, being curious about it, not necessarily just because it's the right income, not necessarily just because it's the right lifestyle, but truly because it's what floats your boat. That seems to be the way to game the system. Right. And in fact, I guess you can lie about that and game the system, right? Connor, you know, I looked at a couple of articles that spoke to that. But the reality is it's pretty hard to game the system beyond saying, oh my gosh, I really like what you're doing here. Um, And and maybe that changes some ranking at some point, but probably doesn't change whether you match or not. Right. Does that sound about right? Yes. That's exactly what I would say too. So. So 
it turns out that once you get past interpersonal interactions with staff, whether that's secretaries, whether that's the people that interview you, and once you get past the feedback from the current residents, those account for the first four items on the list and they are all at about 90% importance. You then go down to number five in importance, which is letters of recommendation in the specialty. Now, I, I mentioned this before, I write a lot of letters for students. What I tend to like to be able to write is that I really enjoyed working with the student, that they're bright and capable, and that they won't cause problems, right? That's the thing that when I'm writing a letter of recommendation, when I feel like I can make a good recommendation, it is, this is a student that will be a positive part of your program, they'll get along with everybody, they don't cause fights, and they treat everybody nice. And my staff miss them when they're gone, right? Those are the things that I think make a difference in a letter of recommendation. But it looks like maybe I need to be a little bit more careful when I'm writing letters of recommendation for students that ask, and say, just so you're aware, letters of recommendation outside of specialty don't carry the weight that letters of recommendation do in specialty. And yet, once you get down past how you interact with people, it just doesn't seem to matter as much, right? Right. I mean, it's important, but if you can't get along, it doesn't matter if there's a letter of recommendation in the specialty. It doesn't matter that you know six and seven on the list down in the mid-60s in, in terms of importance are things like USMLE, right? Mm -hmm. So be nice and learn how to be nice and practice being nice when you're on your residence, you know, when you're on your rotations. Treat people nice that don't write your letters of recommendation. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I thought I learned best a long time ago was that you might be surprised, but even the person that's hauling the garbage out of the room that you're in when the interview is happening, that person could have a say on your future. Right? And if you don't know how to treat everybody nice, there might be time to work on you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sounded like, Julia, you were about to say something. I want to hear what's on your mind. Oh, no, nothing. Specifically, I guess, obviously, I like the idea of being nice to people. I feel very lucky to be in this situation with Jonathan, who is a very nice person. Um, and just like... Getting to know the staff makes every rotation better, in my opinion. Taking that time to get to know people like, will make your experience that much more fun. You get to meet friends and stay in touch with those people, so make your efforts to do that. It might surprise you. Maybe it doesn't surprise you. Um, you've, you two have watched the team dynamic that we have here, mm -hmm. right? How often do you think Corey or Mike says something to me about the students? I would say probably fairly frequently. How about all the time? <laughs> how often do you think somebody like uh, our nurse Shannon tells me how much she likes the students? Well, I'm pretty sure I heard her give a compliment to another student that was here in the past the other day, so yeah. frequently. We remember students from years gone, um, and, and I think it's fair to say we remember really the vast majority of our students, and it's... We, we do recognize quite often how bright students are, right? I mean, we have, even in this year, we've had some students that, like, they scare me how smart they are, right? <laughs> um, and I hate, to, I hate to drop names, but I'm just going to throw out there, Ray was pretty amazing, right? It scared me how well he was prepared for this rotation. Apparently, he prepares, you know, the month in advance. 
while he's on the rotation before. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know as many questions as Ray does. <laughs> I need to get Ray's Anki deck. Or somebody like Valentina, right? Who, ha- who, I know I've mentioned this before, who grew up listening to her mom read bedtime stories of science, abstracts, and scientific papers, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just like, my mind's blown by that. And then I still have all these very, very bright students who walk through, um, and they, they all amaze me in different ways. And yet, what we tend to remember are how well the students interact on the RT activities, right? How, how kind they are, how they helped, right? We have a couple of students that we remember from way back when we had a patient that tried to elope and they got involved in the chase, right? It's how helpful students are and how they chip in and how they get along that, you know, that personality that makes such a big difference. And they're the things that I point out in the Dean's letter. So Connor, you went through that Dean's letter process with me and I was always aware that it was important. I didn't have a sense of where it sat, right? Mm-hmm. Once you get past like personal statement, USMLE, scores, letters and specialty, that Dean's letter becomes very important. And it has about the same weight, not just for getting an interview, but for that ranking and match list, right? Yep. And, and one of the things that I think I've always focused on in the Dean's letter when I did do those is how you get along and how you might be as a, a peer in a residency program. Connor, do you remember any of that when we work together? Yeah, I do. Uh, and it's funny that you bring that up because in interviews, specifically what you wrote, the interviewers would comment on and ask me about it or just kind of say something specific because they do actually read that kind of information. And yours in particular, what you write on our Dean's letter, uh, is more in depth of kind of who we are as a person and as we've discussed how important that is. It's not just the typical, oh, this student is bright or is smart. You go into more detail of who we are. Uh, For me in particular, you wrote about how I am easily can interact with people and kind of understand where they're coming from. And they brought that up how important that is for their kind of program and the people they're looking for. So uh, it goes a long way. Yeah, you you have this very disarming personality. To me, there's, I mean, I I think there are a lot of students that worry about being good enough. I I see that a mile away because that was where I was at, right? And Connor, one of the things that's truly enjoyable about watching you is that you seem to be at peace with yourself nothing to prove to anybody because you're happy with who you are i think and i think that allows you to get along so well with other students other peers and i think that uh residency programs that are looking at that letter will focus in on that as as one of these professionalism things right Right. these top four how do you get along with people and if there's not an ego involved right that makes it a lot easier and and i whether ego involved or you know worry of being good enough or whatever it is right Mm -hmm being content with who you are, I think goes a long ways. And I think one of the things I really like about the way I'm reading the data with this is students based on this really can be content with themselves. Right. Right. Most students are average, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And most medical students that are average are still pretty darn bright, right? right? And as long as you're a pretty average student applying to enough programs, you're going to match. Yep. Right. Let's talk about a few specifics then. Um, I want to kind of talk about 
how do you build a rank list? Because it's tough, right? You and I looked at, you sent me a couple of articles. Mm-hmm. Cost of uh, matching for an emergency medicine residency costs about what now? Uh, so it can vary, but each interview that you have, so each place that you rank can cost you about 250 to $499. And there were a lot of people saying that they spent upwards of almost $10,000 just in the interview process and everything alone. To put this into perspective, $10,000 is somewhere around 4% of your total student loans by the end of this, right? So this is expensive. Um, and it's it's not one twenty-fifth of your medical school training, right? Sure. It's It just has this disproportionate cost. Now, I also looked at this a little bit more closely. When they broke down the cost of um, transportation, uh, they said that it was somewhere less than $200 for over 60% of the residents. Now, you guys are in St. George, right? So you not only have to drive three hours to get to an airport, but Vegas is has relatively cheap flights. But because it's pretty far away from the eastern seaboard, your flights are all somewhere around 300 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you're immediately, your cost of rotation, uh, your cost of interviews when it's not by Zoom, immediately goes up compared to this number. And what they said was this $8,000 to $10,000 cost was in 2016. Mm -hmm. And what they were pointing out at the time was because of the increased number of applicants for emergency medicine, this is becoming a more competitive residency. And as a result, more students need to rank more schools. And so this cost goes up, right? Mm -hmm. So, So just that's that's just the interviews. And if you start doing away rotations, each way rotation costs what, somewhere around uh, $1,100, $1, $1, right? Yeah. And so if you do three away rotations, uh, audition rotations, not just away rotations, right? You're trying to demonstrate that you you would fit into a program. It's an, a program you're demonstrating, I'm interested. Yeah. One of the things that we know seems to improve your chances of matching. Um, you're now at twelve, thirteen, fourteen thousand $14,000 right. to try and match, right? Now, we're balancing this. This is really expensive, but we're balancing this against the cost of not matching. If you don't match, your lost income is probably somewhere around one less year of productivity at somewore around one hundred and fifty dollars to $400,000 or $500,000, right? So yep. there's an immense cost of not matching. Um, and there's also the risk that if you don't match that first time around, your odds of matching seem to go down dramatically, so you want to make sure this first match happens. So this cost of eight to maybe fifteen thousand dollars, it's got to be baked in. You've got to be ready for that. Yeah, sound about right, Connor. Yeah, yeah. And then one of the other things that we talked about is a number of residents. Once they've hit a certain number, once they start feeling comfortable that they will match, they might start declining interviews. But there's also another issue that comes up. Yeah, so I've heard, especially because they are virtual this past year, that um, some applicants who may be on the higher competitive levels take almost every interview. So I heard a, of a of a student who took 46 interviews when if you do 15 interviews, you have over a 90% chance of matching. So your chances are still really good if you only do 15 and you're taking many, many spots from other students who maybe needed those interviews to reach that 15 
um, interview level to match. And, and now you're giving people advice and hoping that you're gaming the system, right? Yeah. Stop, stop <laughs> interviewing so much. Actually, I know. I, I read this whole thing about maybe them instituting caps on the number of interviews they allow because they've already given the advice mm -hmm. to cap the amount of interviews and most people are not taking it because yeah. we've been told to kind of just trust our gut and I think it makes it does make sense to have your gut tell you that the more the better so I think it's a hard balance if you're right oh man that's a tough balance and and you know I'm teasing you a little <laughs> bit as I say that right yeah because it's not so simple when it's you and you have totally. to match you have to do that, right? Uh, 46 interviews, and he ranked probably 43 to 46 of those, I'm guessing. Yeah, I don't know. Or she. Yeah, it, it was a guy. I don't I don't personally know this person. It was a friend of a friend, so take that as you will, but it's a lot of interviews. It is a lot of interviews, and the cost of that escalating number of interviews isn't just in the cost of the students. Um, well, it is. I mean, think about this. If you were to limit the number of interviews to 20, which I think this is the article you're referring to, the Weisbart article maybe, yeah. that would save $4.5 million just on the, the number of applications to each school, because I think it's, what, $15 per school that you add on to be looked at. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that would, if, if we limited the number to 20, that would save $4.5 million. And roughly 33,000 hours for the program, uh, the, um, the residency program directors in time, assuming that they spend eight minutes per application. Right. So um, eight minutes kind of sucks, right? Yeah. Do, you, do you really want somebody deciding whether they should interview you or not based on eight minutes? Yeah. No. And, and it was interesting because they're talking about 120 applicants per slot. And if you're an average program, you have, what, 8 to 20 slots, maybe, depending on whether you're a big family practice program or a relatively small vascular uh, surgery program. That adds up really, really quickly, 120 applicants per slot. Yeah. So, so this idea of limiting, I think, makes a lot of sense on some level. But then again... I'm kind of, I've got in the back of my mind this free market thing, okay, limit everybody else but me, right? <laughs> let, me, let me have, let me do what I want. Right. Now, Connor, mm -hmm. based on these numbers, mm -hmm. five strategies, right? People who put shorter lists together tend to not match as well. Um, so strategies for matching. I have four bullet points. Let's see if you have the same kind of set of things in your mind about what you should do to match. So overall, to match, what I would think is first, just kind of make sure you do your best on getting those interviews. So that's what we're talking about with the scores and your letters and all of those things. So get the interview first, I would say. And then the next thing, when you get that interview, be a good person. Be a nice person. Be yourself. Make sure they know who you are, but be a good person and respect everyone. And then after that, when you're ranking, make sure you rank all the programs that you interviewed at and rank it honestly. Can't stress that enough about the honesty. What you want, you want to put first. Don't try to game the system. 
Uh, so those are the things that I would say. Is there anything else that you would add to that? Actually, you have a better list than I do. Oh. That's not uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> so, so get as many interviews as you can, right? Which is how you can rank. And I think you're saying exactly that. I would also add, as you're getting as many interviews as you can, the second you get offered an interview, call back and set that up. Most, most residency uh, selections happen on a first-come, first-served uh, basis. Be truly interested in where you're going. If you truly have no interest in going somewhere, find 20 programs where you're truly interested in going. Don't find 25 with 20 that you're not interested in at all. If you're going to a place that you're not interested, you're going to have a tough time deceiving people every time, right? You're going to have a tough time convincing somebody that you have interest in a program that you don't have interest in. I would also say demonstrate that interest by, by knowing about the program, right? Know why you're interested in the program. Connor, you and I talked a little bit about why you were interested in various programs, right? And I think this is something that we're not capturing well in this podcast up to this point. But what were your values? So when I first was interviewing and was looking at programs, the first thing, to be honest, just narrowing down where I was going to interview or to even apply to first was just area. Uh, that was kind of my main thing to narrow that down. From that point, when I actually started interviewing, the most important thing for me was the people. Uh, especially, did I get along with them? Uh, do I feel like they're the people that I'm going to want to spend so many hours with? Because they always say you're going to spend more time with them than a lot of times your family. So uh, that was my by far biggest point of emphasis was that, and then kind of get more into the nitty gritty of what kind of procedures would I be able to do? What kind of academics is their program known for? So on and so forth. So I think it's very fascinating that um, really in a way, by the way, I, I think I'm shaking because this is such an interesting topic or I haven't had enough Diet Coke. I'm not sure which <laughs> one or the other. Uh, I think it's interesting that in a way your rank list mirrors what residency programs are looking for. Mm -hmm. Students that can get along well. And I, I think that as you're, as students are, are looking at this process, so not only do you develop being a good person, not only do you try and build the resume that allows you to be looked at with you know a, an average at least USMLE score, mm -hmm. not only do you uh, make sure that you have at least 20 interviews and rank those 20 programs based best on what you want most, but I think you need to know what your values are going in and what's important to you, right? And to be able to enunciate those in a way that lets a residency program see why you might be interested in them or how you're interested in them, right? So expressing the interest in the term in terms of what kind of procedures will I learn? How does family practice fit in in the bigger system in this area right here? Do we end up delivering babies? Do we not end up in delivering babies? When you are teaching in family practice, is that you know, like being potty trained at gunpoint? <laughs> or is that a little bit more like you know, Aristotelian method that is uh, learned by asking questions? Or is it you know, very hands-on? Do, do I have preceptors that 
like really care and stop and take a few minutes to be able to help me understand things and are invested in my learning, right? Yeah. How, how does this all fit together? And, and having a sense of what's important to you in terms of your values and being able to ask and show interest in how that program achieves your values and meets your needs, I think is part of that value, uh, as part of that interest in the program. And then after you have interest in that program, or as soon as you interview, I'm sorry, as soon as you've got an interview possibility, call immediately, right? <laughs> I, I can't stress that enough. And be polite on the phone, right? Everybody that's working on the other end of a phone, they're really great people in my experience. Mm -hmm. the, the, at Baylor College of Medicine, uh, Patty and Belinda were just amazing, right? <laughs> and, and they were people that, they always had this great smile whenever I walked in the office. They were always there to help. And they were always around. They stuck around for a long time. Right? Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful people. Um, one of the other things you can do is make sure that you're ranking. If you are worried, if your uh, USMLE score is average and below, usually average is going to be good enough. But if you're applying for a more competitive specialty, you may need to rank less competitive programs. You may need to try and do your research and figure out what programs are more competitive, which are less competitive. And even if it's not where you're most interested in going to, you still may need to rank those less competitive programs. The other option is, if you're worried about matching, rank an alternate specialty. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people that uh, find that they want something really, really badly, and they recognize that they may not be competitive, competitive enough to get that residency. And so they end up ranking uh, an alternate specialty that they feel like they would be very happy in. Research experience may matter. Um, in terms of building a strategy. And I was kind of left uncertain about this because I think a lot of other things matter more, like what kind of personality you have and so forth. But in terms of getting those interviews, if you're sitting on the fence, having some sort of research experience may matter. And then I think the last thing that I would add in is um, less than 50% get their first choice, right? I think there's probably this belief out there that you know, if I don't get my first choice, I'm probably the world's biggest loser, right? And yet, I don't know how much that matters. So I'm going to go back to a question I, I kind of threw out a long time ago. Well, before I do, mm -hmm. up to this point, anything that, oh, follow the advice of your school. Schools know best. And read the NMRP stuff, National NRMP, National Residency Matching Program Information. And don't share anything that's not publicly shared already. There are some uh, violations in the match program. You want to make sure that if you join the match, that you don't talk to people outside of the match, right? You don't uh, approach anybody for a position that is not match-related. You have committed to a match process. If you do that, you will be in trouble with the match, and that will be a big red flag for programs that you're unethical. And then the second part of that is if you end up uh, in a supplemental um, application program, the SOAP, make sure that you don't share any information that comes to you within the SOAP outside of you, right? Because that has the potential to create all sorts of legal hassles for you and also is a huge violation of the protocols that they try to have in place to protect the integrity of the match program. So don't do a match violation. Um, but once you've got past those things, what else is there? Have we, is there anything else that we haven't mentioned? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. I think that was all super helpful information. Yeah, this has been very enriching for me to hear the data that's out there about this. So I'm going to ask the Jays. 
What's the difference between a toaster and a blender? <laughs> Do you guys know the answer to this? Connor did explain to us what the study was, <laughs> so I feel like Darn I it. can't uh-huh. answer it fully without knowing what it means. No, you don't ever give up that, uh, you never give up that you have information that you shouldn't. You just always <laughs> say, turns out I've learned a little bit about that. This is a, this is a heads up for uh, medical students. Feel free to, to share what you know. And don't be afraid that you uh, shouldn't know it. <laughs> um, so I think the concept is that if you're given the choice between a toaster and a blender, um, if you choose one and then you go home and they you follow up and they kind of reflect on if you regret the choice, most of the time it's it's you're not going to regret the choice. Yeah. So so this comes out of the cognitive dissonance studies, and this is something that appears to be well replicated over and over and over in different arenas. Um, Some of the psychology literature has some difficulties with replication. This doesn't seem to. It turns out that when you have some choices that are very equivalent and maybe forced choices, Mm -hmm. that can cause some distress, right? What do I rank number one? Oh my goodness, (laughs) but what if I'm giving up something by choosing number one by ranking something else number two? Right, I think there's there's also a phrase for this, M- missing out on something. There's a FOMO, FOMO, fear, fear of, of missing out, out right? So so FOMO is probably a form of uh, cognitive dissonance, right? Mm. And and it's really easy to be distressed about these forced choices between number one and number two. And so they they did a forced choice between uh, this would have been quite a while ago between mm. two kitchen appliances that. Are, really are pretty similar, right? Yeah. If I if I said, Julia, which is better, a toaster or a blender? I think I personally have some, some opinions on that because I love <laughs> toast, but um, in the long run, neither are more better than the other. Now, you can only have one. <laughs> which are you going to choose? See, I'm more of a blender guy. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, so I think at the time this study was done, these kitchen appliances were not ubiquitous in households. And so being able to be given one, I think, was actually a forced choice that was very, you know, like, what do I do? What do I do? And so they they had this study, and if I understand correctly, they were forced to choose between a toaster and a blender, and it was distressing because not everybody had one of these already, right? And then they had people come back, and, and people that were distressed about the choice initially, turns out that over time, they were really, really happy that they had a blender or they had a toaster. They were sure they had made the right decision, right? Whatever happened was definitely right. And I think I've seen that as well. Most people aren't getting their first choice in residency. And yet, I think everybody I've ever talked to felt like the residency, what they went to, was absolutely the right residency for them. So I think the key takeaway is follow the basic steps. Get enough interviews. Be polite to people. Rank enough programs that you have a good chance of matching. Make sure that you're picking programs that are not competitive if you are a struggling, uh, if, if your USMLE doesn't make you most competitive, right? Mm-hmm. And, and once you get the interview, get there quickly, be nice to everybody, and then rank the program, unless you just don't feel like you can, right? And if you do those things, you may or may not get your first choice, but you'll probably match. And within a year, I'm fairly certain that you'll be pretty happy that you matched where you matched. Any thoughts on that? I think that it's the advice that you should follow. Because for me personally, 
I came to Dr. Roundy with my own toaster and blender situation with trying to figure out, oh, should I rank this program or this program as my number one or my number two? And even though I don't know yet where I'm going, I can honestly say a few days after submitting and just making that decision, I don't feel like I made the wrong decision. So with that advice, just kind of go with what you think and don't, don't stress over it as much as you may think you need to. Rank your values the best of your ability and go forward. Yeah, I like that a lot. Guys, I, I really have enjoyed this discussion. I worry that I talk too much. Connor, uh, what, what did we not tackle? Where, where did I need to ask more questions? Because I think there's a lot more information, right? But it's very simple. Yeah, there's, I think that we went over what will be most useful going forward. Uh, the only caveat with personally me talking on this podcast is it was a weird year with the COVID stuff. The interviews were all virtual, so we don't know how it's going to change going forward. We don't know if it's going to be a mix between virtual and in-person interviews. So that's the only thing that I would say is uh, going forward, just kind of take what we gave you today and use it, but just know it might be a little different than what I experienced. I totally agree. And I think that that's one of the things where um, those away rotations, those audition rotations become more valuable mm -hmm. because think about it. You can't judge how people get along as well on a Zoom call as you can in person. And so I think if, if those four values of the residency programs are about interpersonal interactions and who, what kind of person you are, that means that you need to be getting those things in your dean's letter, that you need to be having the people who are writing letters of recommendation. You might say, listen, you know, one of my strengths, I think, is that I get along well with other people, that I'd be a good peer. Is that something you feel comfortable adding into your letter of recommendation? Right, so making sure that if Zoom calls become the normal, and, and I think the emergency medicine, um, that article about the costs of that, I think they're trying to consider those things, right? And yet these values that the residency programs have are in direct competition with that. So however you can ensure that you communicate what kind of person you are, who you are at heart, is going to matter. And residency programs are looking for specific kinds of people, right? It's not just somebody that can blow the lid off the test, right? right? And it's not always somebody that can just passively go along. They are looking for both leadership and the ability to fit within a group if you're not the leader, right? They want both those qualities. And so being able to describe who you are without being able to show up and, and meet people and bump into the secretaries and you know not not you know be rude to the person that's moving cleaning out the trash cans all of those things add up right and when those are gone you have to find another way to demonstrate who you are and so i agree connor that's a very important thing i'm wondering if you have any sense of how you were able to communicate that through zoom meetings well i think that i just mainly wasn't afraid to be to put it lightly my weird self i think i just went with uh made my jokes made 
what I thought was interesting conversation with these people. It wasn't always about medicine. It wasn't always about the program. It was about them. It was about me and my personal life. All sorts of things. So I think that's kind of how I conveyed it. Uh, if it continues next year, I would say another really important thing that was unique for this year are these social hours where they would do a Zoom social hour and go there and that gives you more of an opportunity to kind of show yourself and in a non-stressful situation. Well, that's a great idea. I, I have a hunch Zoom social hours may stick around mm -hmm. where people are invited to come back to those Zoom social hours uh, after their interview, maybe not that day, but you know, periodically at, at discrete points. Yep. And your interest in the program may be manifest in part by your willingness to show up for that Zoom program, that Zoom social hour. Right. Uh, the, other, the other thing that I think um, you're speaking to is being you. One of the things that I try to say at the end of every, every time I fill out those comments for the Dean letter, I, I always make sure my students read that. And do you remember what I said at the end of that? Because I think I say the same thing and I've done it like 200 times now. I'll say something along the lines of, does this describe you? Yes. You're shaking your head yes. now. You couldn't remember yeah. what I was I asking you. I couldn't remember, yeah. But that yeah. sounds very familiar, right? Yes. Because if I'm not describing you in that, in that Dean's comment section, I'm not helping you. Because you've already been selected for interview based on who you are, right? On who they think you are based on the comments. And so being you is the most important part of those, those interviews at that point. Because there's, there's a lot of people that have sent forward information. This is who I think Connor is. Right? Yeah. I think he's this pretty easygoing guy who's going to get along well. He's you know, going to be easy to work with. He's going to be invested in you know, showing up on time and doing the right thing. And he's going to be done with work when he leaves work probably. Right? That's, that's Connor. Yeah. And that's a pretty healthy person. Right? Um, somebody else might be a little bit different and then you comment on what those strengths are but that person still needs to be that person yeah. be who you are and who you want to be work to be who you want to be yeah. especially with regards to being nice to everybody if you're not now <laughs> right exactly <laughs> uh, excellent so many interesting things um, again probably the very basics are talk to your school listen to them and if, if you were to condense it down into one nugget, it'd probably be that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good, guys. I think we should stop here. We've been going 58 minutes and 24 seconds, so it's definitely time to stop. Mm -hmm. On that note, uh, Connor, thank you so much for being a part of the rotation. This will be uh, your swan song here. Yep. We are very excited to learn where you match. We were all cheering Monday when we heard you had matched. We kind of expected you would, though. <laughs> um, and so we're thrilled for you. We hope that uh, we, we do surprisingly have a number of students who now reach back to us and tell us how they're doing. We love hearing back from students what they're doing and, and their successes in life. Feel free to, to uh, reach out whenever you would like. There's always a listening ear here and uh, best luck to you. Now Julia and Jonathan, the Jays, thanks for being a part of this. Uh, any last comments from anybody? No, I just want to say good luck and congrats Connor. It's very exciting. Thank you, yeah. I appreciate it, and it's great having all the support from everyone that's helped me through my education, like you, Dr. Roundy, and my fellow students, Jonathan and Julie. It's been great getting to hang out with you guys during this rotation, too.
Thanks, Connor. Tell your mom I hope to hear more feedback in the future. She's welcome <laughs> to keep do. listening to the podcasts. <laughs> and uh, you know, if you ever come up with a topic that you'd like to do by Zoom with me from uh, perhaps your ranked number one choice, I right. won't say anything at the moment. <laughs> yeah. um, love, love to have that happen. And perhaps we can get your mom involved because I think there would probably be something very interesting about uh, the role that mothers play in this. I have more mothers that listen to podcasts than you might imagine. They love hearing their sons and daughters <laughs> speak. And uh, I think they're very excited when their children do things that maybe change the family tradition, right? That reached out, they, they went to medical school, they're able to share their expertise and they sound so professional. And I think it'd be really great to have a mom's perspective. So if you uh, ever end up having you know, your mom wanting to be part of a podcast or your dad, they're okay. welcome to join. Perfect, sounds good, I'll let them know. Sounds good. Jonathan, last word. I'm just grateful for how enriching this conversation was and um, teaching me how to make these decisions, these important decisions. So thank you. All right. Listen to your school then. And on that note, team out. Team out. Team out. out.